The most challenging improvements in life are the ones that can't be forced, obstacles that cannot be overcome simply by trying harder. As prime example, we all know that dealing with stress well and getting enough quality sleep do not come from trying harder. For me, right now, the two-headed monster of poor sleep and chronic stress are by far the biggest weaknesses in my pursuit of health, longevity, and athletic performance. So many of us wise athletes have spent our entire adult lives learning how to stay up late and get up early and be fully alert despite poor sleep pretending that stress didn't matter and that having great stamina was our calling card. For us, relearning to have balance is hard. I've been working on it for years with glimmers of hope here and there, yet I have continued to spiral downward toward more stress and less recovery over time. But today on episode 119, I'm speaking with Dr. HRV, Marco Altini, PhD and founder of HRV for Training. Marco reveals all about how to use HRV properly to clearly see my stress level and how to use HRV biofeedback to retrain my mind-body to have healthy emotional self-regulation and the ability to cope with the stress of life and athletics. I am 100% committed to this change in my life, no sleep medication, honoring my circadian rhythm, and using HRV biofeedback to rebalance my mind-body. All right. Let's talk to Marco Altini of HRV for Training. Marco Altini, welcome to the Wise Athletes Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. Pleasure to be here. Excellent. Well, I know how busy you are, so thank you for taking some time. I have been following you for a long time on social media and reading your articles. You have shaped my thinking about HRV more than anyone else, so uh, thank you for your work. Thank you for reading it, and let's see how this goes. <laughs> yeah. uh, good point, good point. Um, uh, before we jump in to some of this, I wonder if you could, bearing in mind that we only have a little bit of time, give us a brief overview of your background so we know we should listen to you. Yeah, for sure. So I have a um, technical background. I started with um, computer science engineering, a master's, um, and then uh, moved um, into a PhD in um, basically data science, applied machine learning, using data collector from the body, interpreting it in the context of different applications. So with this technology background, I started first building various tools, uh, and that's how I sort of got in interested in building tools that would capture things from the body and trying to figure out what that would mean in different contexts. And only later, I, I went on to study also sports science um, mm. recently, uh, so that I could have that background that is a bit of a mix between the technology and the physiology and try to understand a bit better also the people using the tools, um, and the professionals and, and the athletes and things like that. Over the years, I started two companies. Um, the one I'm running now is called HRV for Training. We build tools to measure heart rate variability and mostly, I would say, and resting heart rate and try to help people making sense of that data. I'm an advisor at Aura. Uh, or I makes marine to track physiology in the night. Uh, I teach um, at VU Amsterdam. Um, I help out a bit in a course there. Um, I would say that's more or less what I'm busy with. Fantastic. Well, that's all very good. I'll even give you credit. I'm showing my uh, finger. Uh, I have an aura ring on. <laughs> and I resisted buying an aura ring for the longest time until I started reading your articles about the 
upgraded uh, sleeping algorithm, which um, I, I definitely am not happy with. But <laughs> it's probably true, and that's just my sleep, which is the issue. And frankly, that is where I am uh, aimed with this uh, whole conversation. So, okay, so let's get into it. Uh, but first, I, I probably should say that everybody's heard of HRV. It's been around a long time. It's been around long enough, actually, for people like me to give up on it, right? What I think maybe is that I gave up on it too soon. And recently, I have decided to start using HRV again as a part of learning how to get my autonomic nervous system balanced. I think what I need is better parasympathetic activation. Because like so many people, I am awesome at getting sympathetically activated. I mean, I've had a lot of years of where I wanted to be that guy and was that guy who had great stamina and I needed very little sleep and I was super reliable and I got things done. And now I find that I'm really weak at being able to relax myself and get calm. And so somehow I've gotten stuck in the on mode. And so I've been trying to use meditation and deep breathing and calming music and a wind down routine before bed. And sure, it all is helping a little, but not enough. And so what I want to do is use HRV as a biofeedback tool to help me to find, to rebalance, to find that balance again that I've lost. And I think that this effort will succeed and that I will be healthier and happier and I will be sleeping better. What do you think of this goal? Is this a good use of HRV? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think HRV, we can uh, we can look at it from different angles, right? So there's, um, let's, let's maybe try to frame it this way. There's a way to use HRV in which we just capture it to assess the state of our body, for example, how we are responding to stressors and things like that. That's what we typically do when we take a morning HRV measurement or when we look at our night data. So we are not actively doing anything. We go you know, with our lives and we exercise and we do all the things that we do. And then we take these assessments so that we look at how all these stressors are impacting our data, which reflects our physiological stress level. Now, another way to look at it uh, is the one you brought up of biofeedback. So we could use HRV in this case as more of an active tool in which we engage with associated to breathing, right? So we do deep breathing exercises and use HRV as biofeedback, meaning that we look at how the data changes in response to our breathing exercise, and that can help us sometimes just engaging with the practice and keeping up with the practice. I would say to a certain extent that HRV maybe is not necessary in that application, right? You could do it without the data, you could do the deep breathing exercise, uh, you could have a similar routine and not necessarily use HRV as a form of feedback, but using it might have um, different benefits for different people. One is that simply some people are just better engaged with the practice, more able to keep it up if they have that sort of objective feedback as they do it. Another case would be that um, theoretically, using the data this way, we could also find this, what we call the resonant frequency, so this slow deep breathing frequency that is, let's say, more precise for us as individuals, that is not a generic frequency that everybody uses. So the data could help in that way, in finding that specific frequency so that we use that, and that could lead to more benefits for us, because maybe we don't need to breathe exactly at six 
that's per minute as it is often recommended maybe we need seven or we need five so using the data can help us fine-tuning that process because there's ways to use hrv also there um, i think this is a very fascinating and interesting area but it's also more i would say maybe open for debate what are the benefits of this kind of um routines what is the impact um does it generalize or is it something you know that maybe works for some people maybe it works only for for, for a subset of people and what are the characteristics of these people and we, i think there are many questions there that we uh we haven't answered yet but it's uh, a practice that is certainly more common now that technology made it easier to try to do these things and to learn from it great well heck nothing's perfect but I think that it's awesome that we have tools that we can use to help us to accomplish our goals. And if we're aware of the limitations, then we can use them more effectively. And so I think that's going to be where we, we come to here in this conversation. I think before we dive down into those details, which is where I, I intend for us to go, let's um, set the stage a little bit about why is our heart beat useful for understanding our body's condition, whether that means our health status or our recovery from exercise or even our state of mind, you know, anxiety or that sort of thing. I mean, what are the factors that influence our heart's rate and pattern of beating? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great starting point. So when we think about how the heart beats, we know that the heart has its own pacemaker. So it's generating uh, a certain heart rate. And that is typically between 100 and 110 beats per minute. And so that would be like if you took a piece of heart and you put it in a dish, it would just beat around 100 beats a minute, not attached to anybody's nervous system. Exactly. So the basic mechanism, that would be about 110 beats per minute and that would be exactly the intrinsic firing rate of the heart from the synotrial node and you know as you know and we all know uh, the our heart rate at rest typically is quite a bit lower than that yeah for i would say almost everyone and that is because as you um as you mentioned there is the activity of the autonomic nervous system so the nervous system will um, modulate heart rhythm depending on what we need basically what i mean is that let's say we need to move the resources around because we need action we need maybe we are exercising or, or things like that then the sympathetic nervous system will take over and then heart rate will be higher than those 100 110 bits per minute mm -hmm. While in a situations in which maybe we are sleeping or recovering or restoring resources in our body, or we are simply sitting here even now chatting, our heart rates will be quite a bit lower than that. The parasympathetic nervous system will be the one that is more predominant. Now, we cannot really measure the activity of the parasympathetic nervous system, for example. It is not something that we can go there and, and poke. At the same time, the nervous system responds to many things that happen around us and that we do, what we call, for example, stressors typically, right? It could be things, again, that we do. It could be things that are happening in the environment. It's all sorts of things, mental, physical, psychological, and so on. All of these stressors impact our body and our autonomic nervous system. 
in a way that we can capture through changes in heart rhythm. So measuring heart rate in its simplest form or variability, if we want to go there, allows us to indirectly look at the effect of these stressors on the autonomic nervous system, simply because we cannot measure you know, stress, this entity and the things that we experience. We cannot really measure the autonomic nervous system and the parasympathetic branch, which is the one that we really look into when we talk about HRV. But looking at HRV under certain circumstances, I think that's important. It's not that any time that we measure HRV, we capture the stress response, right? So there is, there are ways to do it, let's say, that allow us to look at that in a way that we can be more confident about having captured the body's response to stresses. And that's why we do it. So the autonomic nervous system will modulate heart rhythm. So for example, again, when we are at rest, heart rate will be reduced the variability between beasts will, will be increased. So HRV is higher and heart rate is lower when we are rested. And that's why we, we look at this metric. So they give us insights into the body's response to stressors and in particular, how the autonomic nervous system modulates heart rhythm in response to stress. Well, awesome. So let's peel that layer one more and talk about why not just look at the heart rate and you know why go all the way to figure looking at heart rate variability why, why is that better somehow how are they different yeah so i think that um in general heart rate is always a great place to start it captures much of the same information and it is more difficult to get it wrong let's say so hrv is very prone to artifacts noise all sorts of issues that maybe we can if we talk about heart rate is easier to measure, even if you don't get the exact timing of the beat right, it doesn't matter. You just need to count how many you have on a certain time frame. Right. Right. So it's it's easier. It's easier to capture. That's why we can measure heart rate, you know, just using our fingers, right? So you cannot really measure HRV that way. You need the exact timing between beats and things like that. And again, it carries much of the same information. But it's not exactly the same. Um, for example, and due to the, I think, due to the activity of the parasympathetic nervous system happening mostly during the exhale, for example, we have that the variation between consecutive beats during a breathing cycle are impacted by the parasympathetic nervous system in a way that is not really captured by heart rate effectively because it's sort of averaged out when we just count how many beats we have over a certain time frame. We don't look at our they change over a breathing cycle, for example, as you breathe in and breathe out, you will have that, you know, your heart rate instantaneously gets a bit higher as you breathe in and then a bit lower as you breathe out. And those changes are modulated also by the parasympathetic nervous system. And I think that's the basic mechanism why eventually when we look at HRV in response to different stressors, it tends to capture these stressors a bit better. So it becomes a bit more sensitive to stressors. So if we get sick or we had um, some other very strong stressor, typically we see it in equal ways in heart rate and HRV. It's very easy to see when you're sick in heart rate because your heart rate is going to be 20 bits higher than normal. But if you did maybe a high intensity session and you are well conditioned athlete, so you, you, know, you, you, you know how to take that stimulus and it was appropriate to your level of fitness, but maybe it was a bit of a different day. Maybe 
there's a bit hotter outside, or uh, you add some other stressor, work later and things like that. All these stressors get you know piled up together, and then it could be that you see that in your HRV there is a bit of a suppression below what is your normal, but heart rate is still more or less the same, or maybe. It's one bit higher and so it's so difficult to understand is that meaningful or not because it's very close to what it used to be. Mm. While for HRV, these differences can be more marked. So that's why we go through the trouble basically of computing HRV, making sure it, you know, we deal with all these artifacts and other issues that might be, you know, arrhythmias, ectopic beats and movement, all sorts of things can mess up the data. Then we try to go through all of this because eventually it is a bit of a more sensitive and reliable marker of the stress response. Mm. Um, even though, again, heart rate, great, great place to start, typically similar changes. Um, and often I would say looking at both of them together can be more useful than saying, hey, I just need to look at HRV or, or heart rate. Because you know, if you see similar strong changes in both, then it's probably a very strong stressor. And maybe you're getting sick or something like that. And it's better to be careful if you see a suppression in HRV but your heart rate is still normal, then you might decide, hey, today I just continue as planned and see what happens tomorrow. Or you might try to say, okay, maybe I make a change already today and then I avoid some issues later on. So it allows you to uh, yeah, to play with that a bit more um, if you look at both and see how they change. Okay, so it's more sensitive and possibly there's more information in there, but of course, you know, you've got to do the calculations right, you've got to capture the data right, or there's going to be distortion, and now you're not sure what you're looking at. So maybe it's worth us digging into a little bit into this, you know, how to do it right. I mean, as I was planning for our chat, I thought I'd write down like two or three things, and I, and I ended up writing down like 50 things that, are, that could that affect the HRV calculation, like, what sort of a capturing device am I using? Is it a fingertip device? Is it a ring? Is it a wrist? Is it a chest strap? And that sort of thing. Uh, you know, am I laying down or am I sitting up? Uh, uh, how am I breathing? Um, you know, which r algorithm am I using? Anyway, I wonder if you could, you probably have had this conversation so many times. I wonder if you could just kind of run through, you know, your main things, the things that you got to get right that in order for HRV to be useful? Yeah, yeah. let's start from the ones you brought up, which uh, I think are really useful, uh, especially if we look at all the devices we have out there today, and people tend to maybe try a couple or compare. And sometimes it might be that they get different numbers, but that is not wrong. It's not that devices are not working. It's just we are looking at slightly different things. So mm -hmm. maybe we can we can try to clear that up first. So. The first thing is that if we use an ECG, a chest strap, so a device that is actually measuring the electrical activity of the arm, that is different from using an optical sensor that would be a ring or a wristband or a phone camera. It's mm. different things that we are measuring because when you measure the electrical activity of the heart, that is actually the only case in which you are looking at HRV. Otherwise, you're not looking at HRV. We are looking at what we would call PRV, Pulse rate variability is still a measurement, but it's a measurement of how your pulse is changing. And of course, you know, if you measure blood volume at the periphery, at the finger or wherever, blood is flowing when the heart is beating, right? So it is strongly linked, but it's not exactly the same thing because still the blood is traveling, right, from the heart to the 
finger or whatever you're measuring. Mm. And, you know, if there is maybe a change or a difference in blood pressure and, you know, the time it takes uh, to get there might be slightly different. And then what you measure, pulse rate variability might also be slightly different. Hmm. But they take away there is really that there can be small differences when you measure in different places. But what we've seen typically when looking at this data, measuring it daily, uh, you know, so for the same person from different places every day over periods of you know weeks and months, is that you will see the same changes and trends and responses to stressors. So all of them can be used to look at relative changes in relation to what is happening to you, but the absolute values might be slightly different because we are looking at slightly different things. But all of these ways to capture cardiac variability, let's say, yeah, are slightly different depending also on where you measure and things like that. So the important thing is just to be consistent, I would say. If you pick a device, use that. And if you change device, give it some time so that the system learns again what are meaningful changes uh, because otherwise um, there can be differences in there. Okay. Then you were talking also about body position and that is also another important difference, right? If I measure lying down, it's different than if I sit up. My heart rate when I sit up is probably a bit higher, right? Typically that's between two and five beats in most people. Heart HRV also could be uh, possibly, probably a bit uh, lower. If we measure during a highly parasympathetic state like sleep, it's a bit different than measuring when you are awake, even if lying down. And it's even different from measuring when you're awake and sitting. And all of these protocols might have different value depending on what you're looking at. For example, um, when you measure sitting up or even standing, if you measure, let's say, within a minute or so from changing body position, that is what we would call our orthostatic stressor. So you change body position and obviously your body is responding to that, readjusting, right? Because it has to support the change uh, and, and go back to normal. So if you measure in that moment, typically, you get a response that might be even more sensitive to stress. For example, I had some data also collected with the, with the ring uh, last year, last time I got sick. Um, so I was sick one night and my heart rate was quite a bit higher than my normal, right? And then the second day and third day and fourth day, it was already back to normal. So maybe one day it was 60 and then for three, four days it was 50 and then maybe it was 48. But it was still low enough that it didn't tell me much. I am also measure in the morning when sitting up, right? So when I sit up and the body is sick and it has also to adjust from the change in body position, the heart rate was actually quite a lot higher, maybe 75 beats per minute, right? And I do that the second day and it's 65, and then it's 55 the third day, and then it's 50. So adding that little stress of the change in body position allows you sometimes to capture even better your stress response and with a bit more sensitivity because you're not in this full rest state, let's say like sleep or, or just lying down. So there are some differences also in, in what the data means once you capture it in different ways. And again, the important, no way is wrong, I would say. Uh, the important thing would be to stay consistent. And then depending on your interest, for example, is it guiding training? In that case, maybe in the morning sitting up is a good idea because you are extra sensitive to stress. But are you measuring because of you know general health and long-term changes? then just sleep could be totally fine because you don't have to make that day-to-day -day adjustments maybe to the things that you're doing. 
So I think different technologies and different protocols can be helpful in different ways in that context. Okay. Well, that's really good. Let me go through my list here and um, summarize what you said and then ask you any questions that you didn't touch on. Uh, so as far as devices, the chest strap is probably the best because that's the actual HRV as and the others are estimates of the HRV. Did I get that right? That's right. Okay. As far as the, um, the, the software for using the information that has been captured by uh, these devices, there are, you know, there's your products. I've used some others. I think a famous one that's used a lot in uh, research is a uh, Kubios, and they also have a, a free app out there, which, which I have used. They don't have many features on it, but I've always assumed that it was accurate because it came from a reputable company. You had said something about error correction, and, and some of them also convert the algorithm results to an index that's somehow proprietary. So, you know, this is another reason why the numbers don't match up. It's like, oh, I look at this, and then I look at that, and it's totally different. It's like, well, yeah, they're showing you, yeah, they're both between zero and 100, but they don't mean the same thing. So, I mean, are some apps better than other apps, uh, you know, error correction and things like that? I mean, what are the good ones? Yeah, so um, let's say that uh, correcting for artifacts is certainly the one of the most important things, regardless of how you measure uh, this. Um, so it's, it's not something that is really evaluated systematically in, in the scientific literature, but there are some validations of different apps, including hours and order rings and um, the technology that first bit developed that is the one that eventually went into the Garmin watches. Um, so comparison between those showed, for example, that using HRV for training with a chest strap provides the lowest error, hmm. um, but similar results uh, right after are obtained using just an ordering or HRV for training with the camera. Um, interestingly, the technology used by first bit and then applied in Garmin and that validation showed the largest errors even Ooh. if using a chest strap. And that wow. says, says something about the fact that you need to process the artifact correctly, right? So mm -hmm. I think from the data that they published there, it showed that maybe they were overcorrecting a bit. So there are some methods used um, in the scientific literature to try to make sure that if you identify bits that look like they're out of place, you remove them so that the estimate is still accurate. That would happen, for example, if you have an ectopic bit, but even if just the data is a bit noisy. So if you overdo that a bit, then you see you create an, an additional error, so to speak. So mm -hmm. if people have naturally higher HRV, you could overcorrect because you think that their bits are artifacts, but it's just that they have particularly high HRV. And that is quite frequent between also the people, among the people using this kind of devices, right? So if they have an RMSSD, which is the most used feature, the one you see in the ordering, for example, or in the book band or in other apps, uh, it's called RMSSD. It's just um, a way to capture HRV among the many different ways there is. This is probably the most standard at this point. So that's also what we report in the app. I think it's... Uh, it's a good idea to, to stick to that because it's one of the few things maybe that went well in the whole HRB world. At a certain point, all the products started using the same thing instead of everyone having their own. So at least the, the raw HRB, so to speak, you can compare it. Um, 
so if you look at that, uh, I think that's the best uh, the best way to to try to look at uh, what is captured by different products and devices. Yeah. Um, the data is often then put into these other scores, right? Readiness recovery scores. I think that's a bit of a different conversation. It's not really HRV. It's HRV used to try to provide you with some score to guide you. Uh, there are flaws there that maybe we can discuss later. But if we talk about HRV, I would say look at the raw number and some of the, the typical products that are on the market today. I think uh, they they tend to be pretty good at this stage um, when they measure in the night or when you measure first thing in the morning, uh, either with a strap or, or with a camera in our app, for example. Okay, two things on this point. The RMSSD, you guys report on that as opposed to then overlaying on some sort of index, whereas others will... They, they report that, but you have to like look in the details to find it. And what they report is some, you know, index that they have created. Uh, so people should be careful. And, and really, I, I guess it makes sense to me. Just use the, RS, the RMSSD data. That way, it, you know, you're, you're not having to add any other complication to what is already pretty complicated. And then the second thing was, I think Apple in their watch, they, don't they use a different... Uh, algorithm for um, that's a, right, I mean, that's a legitimate right. one, but a different one. Yeah, so for some reason, they decided not to use RMSSD, but to use SDNN. Uh, my guess is that um, they have um, sometimes a bit of a maybe more medical approach uh, to these kind of things. And in the scientific literature, especially the medical literature that is quite old, maybe from 20, 30 years ago, this was looked at a lot uh, as something that you would capture, not even with the spot checks that we do today, but over 24 hours, you would look at SDNN. It's just the standard deviation, so it's a bit of a simpler thing even. Um, so you would look at that over 24 hours, and you would try to distinguish groups of people. Uh, it was very basic. For example, you distinguish people that have uh, chronic disease uh, between you know um, against people that are healthy, right? So it's just... Uh, you know, a macro classification, um, and you would see that maybe the people with chronic disease have a, slow, have a lower yeah. HRV as you would expect it, but it's not really something that you would use at the individual level. Eventually, I think it's not such a big deal, meaning that it's still heart rate variability. So again, if you look at it on a day-to-day -day basis over time for the same person in response to stressors, the two are highly correlated. Okay, but just know that it's not the same thing. So when you're, yeah. if you're trying to compare them, you're not doing apples to apples. Exactly. All right. So uh, just going through my list here, uh, as far as time of day, you said that sleep or first thing in the morning, probably, and then being consistent every single day. I wanted to ask you about the um, the sleeping thing. I mean, sleeping does sound better in that I'm not. You know, I don't actually know, I'm not conscious of being measured. And so I'm not consciously trying to do anything to affect that, you know, my breathing or anything else. I'm just, you know, asleep. But does my laying on my side, you know, some nights and on my back some nights and on my right side versus left side some nights, I mean, is that having any effect on uh, the results? Yeah, I think uh, sleep is uh, is interesting because we think it's so simple. We are asleep, but then a lot is happening. The autonomic nervous system is not asleep. So yeah. when we look at the data, actually, there is huge variation during the night. Uh, and that's actually the basic principle behind 
all the um, algorithms to try to estimate sleep stages using HRV is that HRV is so different between, you know, oh. deep sleep and REM sleep and when you're slightly, you know, briefly awake and, and things like that. So there is wild variation during the night. That is why typically uh, I would recommend all the devices that end up averaging the entire night or at least many hours of the night, because if you start looking at small bits of data, it can be really all over the place. So if you get it wrong, because we cannot really get it right, if we try to detect, for example, deep sleep, we will yes. get it wrong in some ways. So it doesn't make sense to say, hey, we look at only at HIV at this time point because we don't really get it right. And there is so much variation between minutes that it's better than to get you know, the full thing and then average it out and you will capture the bigger stressors. Okay, that's good. And I think you're being polite to not mention it, but I think it's the whoop strap that tries to guess at your deep sleep and then that's where they're trying to capture your HRV and and of course they have no idea when your deep sleep is um, any more than anybody else does if they're not taking brain waves so be careful that is right uh, to be fair they changed also the algorithm recently so oh, did they? they yeah so it used to be quite noisy because of that now it is less because they also use something that is very similar to the average they wait more the deep sleep but you know, eventually they're still using the all night, not anymore, just a few minutes. Okay. So I think now that's also okay, I would say. <laughs> okay, well, good. Uh, glad to hear that. Good for them. Let's see. And then as far as body position, I'd heard in the past that the more fit you are as an athlete, to get a bigger signal, you're going to need to, you know, not lay down, and you might even need to stand up when you're taking your HRV. Is, is that right? Yeah, I agree with that. It's a bit like you were saying before, uh, differences between lying and sitting up. If you sit up, the stressor, is, uh, stressor response is amplified. So I think that's a good idea for anyone that is an endurance athlete. Um, I wouldn't go as far as standing just because standing is a big change. Even it seems something simple, but then it's a big change and people are sometimes maybe impatient then to take the measurement and maybe after standing up, you should wait, you know, 30 seconds, a minute, things like that. When you sit okay. up, uh, I think you can exploit the same process, but then it's a bit easier and uh, yeah, less complex um, to do, and then and, and you don't mess it up as easily. I think uh, maybe okay. it's a, yeah, it's a good trade-off. Okay, good. And then the last thing that I wanted to touch on in a little more detail was the breathing method, because I think that this is a big confounder, and it's so hard to stop yourself from doing it. Uh, I mean, because you know, you're, you're, you're essentially, you're watching, if you're doing it while you're watching, like, you know, first thing in the morning, you can see what the HRV is. It's showing you what the HRV is. And so, you know, you will naturally start doing things that, oh, it went up when I did that. I'm going to do that more because I want to win, right? I want to, I want a good score because I, you know, I get good grades, man. Uh, and so there, but there's a whole bunch of things that get into breathing, right? There's nasal versus mouth breathing. There's paste of, you know, which, you know, like where you're following some indicator that's telling you when to inhale and exhale versus just breathing without thinking about breathing, um, belly breathing versus chest breathing, taking full breaths where you're kind of like straining, stretching your lungs maybe versus not doing that, uh, loud breathing versus quiet breathing. I mean, I've heard all of these things. What should people do? And let's don't get into the biofeedback thing just yet. To use HRV to understand your health status, how should people be breathing? I think in this case, 
it is best to just breathe naturally. And that means not to try to take very deep breaths or to take to do it in any different ways that you normally do. So if you normally nose breathing, just do that. If not, just do it as you would normally do it during the day. I think it's quite okay when you're a bit more self-conscious of what you're doing in that moment to slow down a bit the breathing. I think that's just quite natural. So if maybe if you are just sitting at the computer doing your things, maybe you will breathe at, I don't know, 12, 13 breaths per minute. And maybe when you take your measurement, you are at around nine, something like that, or eight. I think that's okay. It's not a deep breath. It's not five or six where you're really forcing it. So it's okay if, if it's a bit slower. Um, and it's okay if it's not exactly the same every day, right? But sometimes I think it's easier to, it's easy to overthink this. Uh, if you just make it a routine and wake up and take your measurement after a couple of days, you forget about it, uh, the specifics, and then you just breathe naturally and take your measurement. You're not trying to do anything in particular. You just want to assess how things are. So relaxed breathe naturally, it will end up being quite slow breathing, but not deep breaths. And, and that's okay, I think. And so we should be aiming to be around our sleeping breathing rate. I mean, I see that's the only breathing rate that I ever know because that my aura ring tells me. And so if I'm just breathing naturally without thinking about my breathing, I guess that's what, that's how I would breathe. But if I'm doing half of that, then I'm somehow being artificial about it. Yeah, yeah, that's what I would think. Um, it's probably somewhere in between uh, when you do it uh, consciously or to take your measurement. It's probably, I would, I would guess it's a bit slower than, than when you're sleeping. But at the same time, again, that, that's okay. All right, so let's talk a little bit here. I'm looking at the clock and I know that we've only got a little bit more time, but I want to touch on a couple more things. One more thing before we jump into the HRV biofeedback topic, which was the main topic for today. Let's talk just briefly about what improves the score. And, and maybe we ought to start with, is higher better? You know, I mean, it, it, we like things to be simple, but my guess is that HRV higher is not always better. That, there, you know, there's kind of like a, a normal range for a person and you can be higher than that and that's not good. Just like lower than that and that's not good. Tell us about the normal range and then higher than that or lower than that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I think um, a simple way to think about this, well, let, let's, let's try in two ways. One is most signals have a normal range uh, and we are used to that. For example, blood pressure, you know, too high or too right. low, you know, it's not so good. Um, blood glucose, similar thing. Um, if you exercise, then you also know that some parameters that you want them to trend in a certain direction in the medium long term. When they trend in that direction, but acutely, so on a day-to-day -day basis or suddenly, then it's not so good. An example is you want your heart rate while you exercise, for example, to reduce over months of training with that signals that you've got fitter at the same, for example, power. Now, if today your heart rate is a lot lower at the same power, with respect to your normal, then you don't think that you suddenly got <laughs> extremely fit, right? That is, is not what it means, right? It's typically it's just fatigue. 
And the same happens with resting heart rate and resting HRV. So if today your resting heart rate is quite a bit suppressed and your HRV is very high with respect to your normal, then it could be that your parasympathetic nervous system is particularly active. That is not to say that you are very recovered. It's more like you're busy recovering, right? So that could happen after a very strong stressor. Some people have that type of response. You would expect an HRV suppression, but you have instead quite a high HRV and maybe a suppressed heart rate. So that kind of of pattern can happen. And that's why we try to set up this whole mechanism in which the app learns what is your normal range and then provides you with this normal range so that we go a bit away from that oversimplification that you had before. You're still having some other devices where you know, higher is better, and every time the HRV is higher, you have a higher score, and that's not really how it works. So I think stability, being within your normal range, that is ideal. When you go outside of that in either direction, maybe a bit more caution is required. Um, as oppression, it's easier to interpret. It's always okay. because there is more stress. When it's higher, it's not so easy. So sometimes it could be this issue with, um, again, maybe you're a bit under-recovered, uh, but it's not necessarily always the case. So I think in that case, it's always good to combine the data also with how you feel, right, subjectively. And if you feel a bit off and the data shows that, then maybe it's, you know, you have two pieces of information that tell you, hey, maybe today is not a great day for a heart session. But if you feel great, maybe, you know, you can still do your plan and then see what happens the day after. So I think it's always good to combine, right, the data with our feel and, and maybe make some small adjustments. So normal range, I think, is very important. Not necessarily higher is better um, within individuals and even between individuals. I think our understanding of differences is also quite limited, right? It's not that people that have a higher HRV are necessarily better performers. Um, there can be all sorts of other reasons, genetic factors and, and things like that. Okay, good. Yeah, we don't want the computer making decisions for us, but, you know, it gives us information and then we can use our brains to figure out how we should uh, react to that. Exactly. So obviously, I mean, where all of this is coming from is that we're believing that, I'm believing that if I can get my heart rate variability to be higher, then I then that's sort of a marker of me being healthier. I mean, in the short run, what I'm after is if I can get my HRV to be higher then I'm, a, you know, I'm more balanced in my autonomic nervous system, and then and that's going to help me with my sleeping. And if my sleeping is better, well, I'm totally going to be healthier as a result of that. But I think that there are other, you know, more uh, tactical ways that a person might improve their HRV that you know maybe has some other benefits, you know, athletic performance type benefits, like things like um, improving CO2 tolerance. We were talking about paced breathing as a way of sort of artificially boosting your HRV scores. Well, I think that there is something in the scientific literature about how endurance athletes, when they use some sort of pacing of their breathing, that they perform better. Overbreathing is a problem. For example, you get too much, you lose too much CO2, suddenly the whole infrastructure of your system of capturing and, and utilizing oxygen starts to break down. You want to tell us more about this? Yes, yeah, so um, let's put it this way. When we 
move from the assessment to actually using HRV as a way to possibly increase parasympathetic activity and changing what we would call our, let's say, our HRV, our absolute HRV is what we have measured with the assessment, right? It could be in the morning or in the night. That's, that's where we are at. And if we want to change that in the long term, uh, as you were mentioning in your case, because maybe that will lead to better sleep or, or simply being healthier or, or um, yeah, positive health or performance outcomes, then different ways to go about that, right? The basics are always the most important, right? Things like exercising and eating well and, you know, trying to get sleep, good sleep yeah. or enough sleep that we need. And then there could be other ways in which you maybe try to address more directly this issue related to rest and recovery and parasympathetic activity, such as biofeedback, or I would say more broadly, various forms of deep breathing that could be associated to mindfulness or meditation or biofeedback if you use HRV in the process uh, for guidance. Mm. So the literature, the scientific literature there shows that there is certainly a strong effect as you practice, right? So as you do the practice due to the fact that you are um, deep breathing, then in theory this stimulates the parasympathetic nervous system. And at least in HRV, you see a very large change with respect to when you are breathing at your normal rate. Now, this effect does not necessarily last. So once you're done deep breathing, Typically, you are also back to normal. But that does not mean that there might not be longer-term changes with practice, right? It's a bit like when you exercise. If you exercise once, you don't expect much changes in your fitness. But maybe if you go through an exercise protocol for 12 weeks, then you know your VO2 max will be higher. Now, similarly here, if we do these protocols, typically the, um, the recommended protocols would be actually quite time-consuming because uh, it would be two sessions of 20 minutes per day. So it would be 40 minutes of deep breathing in a day. Hmm. That would be for uh, several weeks, uh, I believe 10 to 12 weeks. So doing that type of exercise has shown also some evidence that there can be changes in your um, absolute HIV, your baseline HIV. So there might be changes in there maybe small changes, but still, I think that could be also highly individual, right? So there might be some people that benefit more, some people benefit less. Uh, Actually, we did uh, release a biofeedback app in which we then looked at these potential changes in HRV while doing the practice. And it looked also there that people that had lower HRVs to start with had a larger change after hmm. um, a long period of time. So maybe some people can, can also benefit more depending on, on when, when, where they're starting. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. The thing that made me interested in the HRV biofeedback is that what I started trying to do was meditating. Well, that's really boring. Okay. Um, you know, and then the whole practice is to, you know, let your thoughts go. And well, you know, I don't want to let my thoughts go. I like my thoughts. Uh, you know, and I have good thoughts and I, and when I have a, when I have a really good one, I'm going to make some note of it. So I can't just let that go. All right. So I'm not a meditator, right? But obviously there's some benefit to it. Um, I, you know, and, and no, you don't get a lot of benefit from meditating once. You got to do it again and again for years and years. But I understand and I believe that your brain changes. You get this 
skill, even if it's an unconscious skill, of being able to relax when your body needs to relax. And that gives you the power to react to stimulus when you need to. It's like, you know, in the longevity sphere, we we talk about mTOR and in aging, mTOR kind of gets stuck in the on mode because we've been overfeeding it and that sort of thing. And because it's stuck in on, it doesn't actually work as an on anymore. And so you've got to use, you know, whether it's fasting or maybe it's through rapamycin or other mTOR inhibitors to turn it down so you can reset the cycles of up and down. And once it can turn down and be balanced again, now it can turn up when you need it to build muscle or, or whatever it is. Anyway, the HRFE biofeedback thing, I think is a, a path because it is not boring. Like letting my thoughts go, I can look at the results on the device while I am doing the physical mechanisms, the breathing, and that can capture my attention and I will do it because 20 minutes is a long time. Two times 20 minutes every single day is an eternity. But if I have something to focus my mind on, then I can do it. And so that's why I got to this. I didn't actually realize that this was a real thing. I just thought, oh, wow, this could really work. And then, you know, I discovered that there was like, you even had an app that did this. I've been using your other app forever. And suddenly I found you had this other app that was for exactly the thing that I wanted to do. Let's get into this HRV biofeedback thing. It's not the same thing. It has to be done separately. And it is not the same thing as doing my HRV baseline work, right? Exactly, exactly. So the whole point is that this time, you want to stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system. And to do that, we use deep breathing. So instead of doing what we said before, just relax and breathe at your natural rate and things like that, this time we actually take deep breaths. That means typically six per minute. So a breathing cycle is about 10 seconds. You can breathe in for about five seconds and out for five seconds, or maybe you can breathe in a bit shorter, maybe four, and then breathe out for six. That would be because we were saying the parasympathetic nervous system is a bit more active in the exhale. So if your inhale is a bit shorter and your exhale is a bit longer, that might also stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system more. So that would be the process. You will go through this exercise in which you breathe in and breathe out. And then the biofeedback bit it's basically that as you do that and you use software for biofeedback like the app you were mentioning, then you see your instantaneous heart rate and you see how that increases as you breathe in and decreases as you breathe out. So as you do this exercise, you basically also create with your breathing a nice wave which shows the pattern of your heart rate increasing and decreasing. And then also HRV is reported to you, which typically is quite a bit higher than what your assessment and, and morning or night data would show because now you are uh, increasing it sort of artificially, so to speak, because that's the goal to increase it through this exercise. And once you've done that for 20 minutes, um, that's basically the end of it. Obviously, you don't have to start that way, right? There's people looking at much shorter protocols. It might be, you know, quite challenging to start with 20 minutes and, and you know, it could put you off in a couple of days. I don't think that's the goal. So start with maybe three minutes five minutes and then do that maybe five minutes before bed. There is even recent research showing that the sleep quality of athletes was improved um, when doing, I think, something relatively short before bed. 
um, in terms of the breathing exercises. So there are a lot of effects that have been shown in terms of reduced anxiety, um, better sleep, and so on. So a lot of positive effect on um, subjective metrics uh, in particular, regardless of any change in your baseline HRV. I think that is important because baseline HRV changes for many things. And we need to remember that even simple things like seasonality right now, it's uh, it's December, It's uh, I'm in Europe, winter is coming. So if I start something now and I don't see a change, it could be that that's just because it is normal for heart rate to increase a bit in winter and decrease in summer and for HRV to change the other way around. So if I start a protocol now and I don't see the expected change, it does not mean that it's not working. It might be that there is something a bit stronger, maybe pulling the data, um, but it's still, you know, how we feel subjectively, how we are sleeping and things like that might still be impacted positively. And that's why it might still be worth um, doing it. Fantastic. Yes, we have to have confidence that this is going to pay off. I have this confidence. I am going to do this. I swear I am going to do this. And I will report that I have been dabbling in it for a couple of weeks, and I have seen a benefit already. So I'm 100% sure that this is going to have some payoff. Is it going to make my life 100% better? I don't know about that, but it's going to be worth it. I'm sure of that. Marco, thank you for this. Tell our audience how they can find you and your apps. Uh, I'm, the apps that I got, I got from uh, the App Store for the Apple devices, but I think you've got a website and people can That's download right. yep. higher level versions. Yeah, yeah. so there's uh, the main website of the tools we make as hrvfortraining.com. Uh, as for me, I mostly these days write on Substack, so that would be probably marcoaltinisubstack.com. Um, but if you just Google me, you will find us the website and resources. So I think that's uh, that's the easiest uh, and the various tools and apps we make for the breathing and for the assessments in the morning. Fantastic. Well, this has been great, Marco. I'm going to put all those links in the show notes. Thank you. Uh, and some more that I've been using. And so I totally recommend Marco's apps and his writings. Check it out. Marco, you have a great night. You too. Bye. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening into my discussion with Marco Altini about HRV and HRV biofeedback. I really think I'm onto something useful here. I'm going to stick with this one. I mean it 100%. If you'd like to learn more about Marco or his HRV for training, you can find more information in the show notes. 